0: Someone just came up and said, "Want to put some money in this envelope?" But you probably saw that. So I'm just donating money to them, and I said, "Hold the money. I'm going to pass a plate right away for another cause because I already sent them their money. Not that I, you can give it to them too, but I have another one to tell you about.
1: <laughs>
0: <coughs> I'm going to start this way." Remember uh, in the very beginning when I read you that uh, article from Sri Lanka about the practice of generosity and about the, uh, uh, the often the incomplete information of Westerners about the heart of the Buddha's teaching. And that uh, for most Buddhist practitioners in the world, uh, meditation is not the, the, the central part of their practice. Very few people meditate. Very few people compared to the millions and millions of Buddhists are monks. And, and not all monks meditate. They practice lives of generosity and kindness. They, they were uh, historically in small villages. They were the, uh, the people who knew herbal cures. They were the people who settled disputes. They were uh, the wise people in the <coughs> community to whom people came for all kinds of help and sustenance. Uh, they were people who trained themselves through living wisely to develop a kind of kind heart that did not get caught in self-absorbed preoccupation and was available to be uh, helpful to other people, not because it's nice or you get a medal, but because that's actually what makes you happy. That really to be... Um, <clears throat> liberated from self preoccupation and self absorption we talk so much about anatta and realizing there is no separate self and a lot of times people say so what difference does it make if there's a separate self or there's not a separate self it feels to me that there's a separate self it feels to me that it's ridiculous you say you know there's nobody there and listen i feel like i'm here so what does it matter if i'm here or i'm not here it's not about whether there's a sense of a personality or a sense of a life. Of course there's one of those. And I have a sense of a history. If you meet me and say, hello, who are you? I'll tell you. I'm Sylvia Borstein. I was born in New York in 1936. I have all the story. I can tell you any story about me. I can make up the story, as a matter of fact, all out of true facts to make a different point depending on who you are and what you're asking me without never saying, without never saying anything that isn't true. But it's not about not having a persona or a personality. It's not having a, uh, uh, not being trapped by that sense of a separate self, to be preoccupied with this story, instead of being connected to all the stories, because connected to all the stories relieves me of the suffering I feel, if I really take, the, you know, this story as being the thing that's happening. And it gives me the possibility of the relief of caring connection. Fundamentally, I think it's caring connection, whether it's actually by touching people or talking to them or thinking about them and praying for them. When we end up today doing metta practice and we make good wishes for people, in fact, we connect to them. And every time I make a good wish for somebody else, in that moment, I am not preoccupied with my story. How am I going to get that? How am I going to get rid of that? How am I going to make it better? I am liberated from the relentless mind that has a mind of its own that thinks it needs to have things different. It's actually I'm freed from suffering. So when the Buddha taught, he really taught the living of a wholesome life, replacing uh, unwholesome self-preoccupation with wholesome good-heartedness. And there are a list of ten qualities of heart that really were the central part of the Buddha's teachings. As a matter of fact, uh, there are Buddhist uh, children's stories that go back practically to the time of the Buddha that are fables that grew up uh, alongside the scripture, which we take to be the story of the life of the Buddha and what he taught. There are fables that um, are called Jataka Tales about prior lives of the Buddha before the lifetime that he spent as Siddhartha Gautama, who became, uh, who developed that understanding of suffering and became known as the awakened one or the enlightened one, the Buddha. And those stories uh, are stories about incredibly wise parrots or selfless monkeys or uh, (coughs) eagles who demonstrate incredible patience and You're supposed to read through into those stories that they are representations of the Buddha in a previous life perfecting that particular virtue. Um, One that I I like very much is uh, about a water buffalo, and you can see that the water buffalo is the Buddha in a previous incarnation, who's very patient and... um, There's a monkey who annoys him and does all kinds of things, falls out of trees and gets in his way and harasses him in different kinds of ways. And uh, the water buffalo is incredibly tolerant and kind to the monkey. And some uh, tree sprite falls out of the trees and says to, and mocks the water buffalo and says, what an idiot you are in essence to the water buffalo. You know, that monkey is taking all kinds of advantage of you. And here you are, a big water buffalo. You could kick him once with one of your hoofs, that'd be the end of him. You could throw him with your head, that'd be the end of him. You know, why do you take this guff from this monkey? And the water buffalo then delivers a discourse about poor monkey, he probably doesn't have any friends, a person like a a personality like that. You know, he doesn't <laughs> no, really <laughs> feel bad for the monkey. So the sprite disappears and the monkey comes down from the trees and he said, I never realized I had such a good friend as you and And the monkey is converted to kindness, and it says kindness works like a... Patience works like a charm, and the monkey is converted to kindness. So all kinds of Jataka tales about the Buddha in a previous lifetime, not so much developing wisdom, but developing uh, all of these talents of the heart. There are ten. One of them is wisdom, but the other ten, which, by the way, when I think about this list, all of the other nine are things you can actually... Cultivate. You can practice. This. The tenth one is wisdom, and I always have a little trouble with that, because he can't say, "Today I'm going to be terribly wise all day long," you know. That, or maybe if you set your mind to it, it would keep right intention right up there. But the ten of them are generosity, uh, generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, patience, wisdom, patience. Uh, truthfulness, I've left that one. Energy, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. And all of them are things that you could really notice about yourself. You could, you could notice the impulse in the mind to do something. One of my friends said to me, I think about this, I, I try to do that a lot. He said, um, If the impulse in my mind arises to give somebody something, I do it or to give someone something, I do it. He said, I've never regretted it. And it's a lovely thing. I, th- I, I, I think about that a lot. Uh, somebody says, oh, I like that. So if I can, I mean, it's not an unreasonable thing. There are lots of times that people say, oh, that's wonderful. They say, oh, would you like it? And you give it to them. And you don't miss it, and they love it forever. It's a wonderful thing to be able to do that. In the moment of generosity is really a moment of wisdom anyway. Because in that moment, there's the wisdom of knowing, I don't need this, I have enough. the wisdom of knowing how much pleasure you'll feel in the act of generosity, how much pleasure you'll have afterwards thinking about the act of generosity. Remember the time I gave that, that there's so much pleasure in the act of generosity that it, it keeps on like paying off, if you want to think of it in those kind of crass terms, way after the act of generosity. But more than the fact that you can think about it later and say, oh, that was wonderful, remember how happy they were. The moment of generosity is a moment of a satisfied mind. It's a moment in which the mind is ready to let go of something it doesn't need it. There's a gospel song that says if you seek the world over, there's one thing you'll find. There's nothing more rare than a satisfied mind. That you know there is. It's a it's a big deal to have a satisfied mind because if a if a magic fairy came out of the sky with a wand and said, "Okay, you have everything you need," and you can't do world peace, you know, it's got to be something personal <laughs> for you. What would you like? I don't know that any of us would say, "Well, you know, forget about it." You know, they'd say, "Well, you know, the carpet is very worn." <laughs> <or> <laughs> there'd be something or other to be able to say, "I have enough." Thank you very much. It's an amazing thing. And every act of generosity is a way of saying, I have enough. I don't need this. You think about the second noble truth of the four noble truths. Life is difficult. The cause of suffering. Life is just difficult because we're, we're always losing everything. We're losing our youth, our vitality, everything we love, our hopes, our dreams. It's one long loss. Do you know in... the Seriously, in the in the um, psychologist, uh, when you go see a psychologist or any kind of a mental health worker, and they have to write your diagnosis for medic medical reimbursement, you know, there's what there's a book of diagnoses, and you write six hundred nine point three or eight seven three point two, depending on what you have. And there are some particular illnesses that you write down that that you could write a number. But for the most part, for garden variety stuff, you write, there's a category called adjustment reaction. Adjustment reaction with depressive features, adjustment reaction with anxiety, adjustment reaction with mixed features, adjustment reaction of adolescence, adjustment reaction of elderliness. I think that the whole life is one long adjustment (laughs) reaction when you think about it. There's always a challenge of how am I going to do this? and We could always give someone a job. We are all... Getting used to whatever is happening. You get, some a calamity happens to you, like Joan Didion, you're getting used to it for the rest of your life. You go to the doctor, in the five minutes between, when they take the mammogram and they say, wait here until I check if the films came out good, and you sit there and wait, who knows that feeling while you sit there and wait? Now, you think in those five minutes, this next, I could hear a news. this five minutes could change my life. The fact is that five minutes are not changing your life you have something there, you had it before the five minutes, but you'll now have a piece of knowledge that will change the eyes that you see the world out of in that five minutes. I always have adjustments. To be able to say, all right, this is what i got now, what am I going to do? To not say it has to be different. That grasping, the craving, tanha, which is the second noble truth, that craving is what the Buddha clearly said is the source of suffering. And it's a form of non-generosity. It's a form of not saying, all right, have it your way, you know. To whatever, to the cosmos, to karma. That's the way it is. It either has to be my way or the way. And my way never wins, you know. (laughs) I mean, nobody's way wins. We have very, I mean, when you think about it. So here's here's the, the Buddha's list of these ten things. Not nine of which you can actually practice. I think they all lead to wisdom. And I think that they're all forms of gifts. When you think about it. the first is generosity. So clearly, if you give someone something, it's an act of generosity. But I think all, all of them are acts of generosity. If I behave morally around my friends and everybody who knows me, then they'll feel safe with me. They'll know that I'm never going to take advantage of them. I've given them the gift of safety. When people come here, they feel safe because we take very good care of them. No locks on the doors. It's quiet. Nobody will startle them. They feel safe here, and they feel happy because we, live it, we, we take vows on the first night of a retreat that will live according to certain moral precepts of non-harming, non-exploiting, And everybody feels a gift just by having been in a room with people who say, I pledge to live with you in that way. You think of renunciation. That's a great gift to yourself. You know, everybody who goes in the 12-step program or who gives up something, gives it away. I'm giving away this habit, which has caused me so much difficulty. (coughs) That's an act of kindness to yourself. It's really an act of kindness to one's own... um, uh, desire system to be able to be able to renounce and say, you know, I am in charge of my desires. One of the interesting kinds of retreats that we give here uh, they just happen a couple of times a year, but we have retreats that are taught by monastics and just because it's a form not because it's necessarily the way we should all live there's no food afternoon so we have a noon meal and then there isn't any food until the next day just tea, there's always tea that you can go and get for yourself and it's, it's a really an extraordinary thing to be able to say, I can give up eating until the next day. You know, you get a little hungry at the end of the day, but you don't have any trouble with sleepiness from having eaten too much. You can really stay up late and practice. In the morning, you really enjoy the breakfast. And it's a, it's a, it's a very pleasant feeling to feel I've given myself the gift of a calm down lust system. It's a gift. Well, let's leave out wisdom, which is the fourth one, because it's hard to practice wisdom. Let's talk about patience. I actually think patience is such a close form of wisdom. Every time you do something that's patient, I was a little impatient this morning, but there are so many times that you're patient, like uh, you're just pulling into the toll plaza in San Francisco to pay the toll, and three cars whiz into your lane, or something like that, in like, but on the other hand, you think, well, maybe they're in a hurry. They have to get there before me. I mean, I have the, they're not going to know what I'm doing in my heart. I'm the only one that knows. I can either say, er such bad drivers, so not nice, and say, you know, I'll get there a half a second later, or five seconds later, or ten seconds later. Come into the dry cleaner with your ticket that says the, the cleaning will be done on Wednesday. I say, it's not here. You could make a fuss, but it's still not there. I mean, whether or not... <laughs> If you make a fuss or not, it's not there. (laughs) And it's such a gift to the people who are standing around you who watch that. It's a very big gift to the person working there that you don't make a fuss. They can't make it appear anyway. It's also a big gift to yourself not to frazz yourself up by it should have been here. It should have, but it's not. So it's a form of wisdom to be patient. Determination is a very big gift to yourself because it's it's a tremendous vote of confidence in yourself. I, people laugh, I say, yeah. one of the lines that moves me most around about the Buddha's story is uh, the the fact that when he sat down under that tree on the night of his enlightenment, he said, I'm not going to get up until I'm totally free, until I've completely seen clearly. And uh, I so I tell, I tell people, because it's true, that I sometimes say that to myself when I sit down. Everybody laughs, ah, like to think it's really actually going to happen. But in fact, it's extremely helpful to me to do that. And you know, whether I really think it's going to happen, I'm going to get totally liberated for the rest of my life, or whether I'm just going to get liberated in that moment, it's a very big vote of confidence in myself. Why should I say, as I sit down, this could be a really half-baked meditation. Why not say? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that kind of determination, I'm not, you know, why not? I mean, it's not like you get points off for hubris. <laughs> <laughs> truthfulness, is a, truthfulness is a very big gift. it's a, It's an act of generosity. If you tell people, as much as you know, honestly about things, you have leveled the playing field. They do not have any obscurations that they have to go around to get to have the same information as you, if you give them the same information that you have. It's a gift. Loving kindness, the act of caring for people, is a gift. It actually is a very big gift for yourself. Um, the, 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 the sense of being in caring connection with other people it's a very big gift for yourself. And so it removes me from feeling isolated and separate and beleaguered and, um, to feeling actually like I'm a part of the world in a context, connected. I'm safer that way. It's the opposite of being isolated. It's feeling connected. Everybody's doing this life together. When I think about equanimity as the, the last of the paramitas, uh, I think about it as a gift. It's a, it's a gift to your own self. I think of it most as mindfulness. And it's a gift to your own self to be able to maintain the mind wide enough to hold the whole palette of human emotions and enough space around it to be able to say this is happening. And that's okay. This is happening, and it's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't take away the possibility of huge feelings. Passion doesn't take away the feeling of passion. I think sometimes people think it'll be calm, like tranquil, or passionless because it's equanimity. I think I can be very uh, saddened by something and have a space around it to be able to say, I'm incredibly grieved. I, told, we, I remember we talked just after Hurricane Katrina and we all talked about how upset we were about what you could see <laughs> about the things that aren't spoken about in this country about the differences between the way poor people live and not poor people live and the way poverty comes so often along racial lines and all of us talked about being really upset and angry really My friend Joelle was the person who had that great line. I said, you know, I'm going to teach this afternoon, this tomorrow morning, and, uh, and uh, it was right after Katrina. I said, I don't know how I'll be able to teach out of a good space because I'm, so f- I'm furious. And she said, well, you can be furious and not have ill will. And that was the best line. I think it was one of the best things I learned all this year. Mm-hmm. You can be furious and not have ill will. He can. If there's enough equanimity in the mind, anything can be in the middle of it. You can say, you know what? I'm furious. The confusion that I do not want to have is the confusion that results in ill will and in contention and in separating myself from anything. I don't want to be mad at the politicians. I don't want to be mad at my family. I don't want to be mad at the world or the cosmos for giving me my life the way it is. It is the way it is. Everybody's got a life. Everybody's on fire. Everybody's got something. Woe is everyone, really. How can I look at my pack of stuff and everybody else's pack of stuff and not be mad at it? I can be upset about it. I can be distressed about it. But not be mad at it, not push myself away from it. In fact, it's the opposite of pushing away. How can I actually soothe it in some way, move towards it, I remember telling you a story last year about having taught at Kripalu where they have a uh, Kripalu Yoga Institute where they have a tremendous uh, ethos of appreciation. It's great to be a teacher at Kripalu. They introduce you with so much care and tell so many good things about you that by the time you talk you really feel like You must be some marvelous person and you teach very well because you really feel good. I mean they don't make it up, they say things that you in fact did that merit some sort of praise, but they say, wow, I did all that, that's good and then you (laughs) teach and then you finish and then they immediately give feedback, not only thank you very much for speaking, but that was great and the point you made about this, that was wonderful and that other point, that was a great point. So you And they do it with all the speakers. If you're part of a conference there, everybody's always praising everybody. And everybody feels really good, and there's a great deal of hugging that happens. Because everybody feels in such a good mood. Everybody's hugging everybody. Hugging with goodbye when we leave. Hugging the person who drove us to the airport. I took my daughter with me, and we got off at Larkspur Landing here at the end of the trip back from the East Coast. And we were the last people off the bus, and the bus driver was waiting in the back with just our two pieces of luggage. Everybody had already left. So we were hurrying along the side of the bus to pick up the luggage. And I looked over at Emmy and she looked at me. And I could see we were both on course to hug him. And so we didn't. We picked up the luggage. And we went. I said, I saw you. You were going to hug the bus driver. She said, I saw you. You were going to hug the bus driver. But that sense of everybody becomes dear. You see a person, you hug them. You see a life, you hug them. You know, that sense. A buoyant mind that hugs is the opposite from irritable, irritated mind, angry mind that has taken the anger and pushed everything away. The angry mind that says, you know, oh, wow, I'm furious, but not enough to push everything away, not enough to wish ill. It's the wishing ill, pushing away instead of hugging that makes a difference. So those are the, those are the ten parameters. I want to talk for a minute about loving kindness as the ninth of the 10th. I want to tell you about this other email, and then uh, Edie will be back, I'm sure. Here comes Edie. After I tell you about it, we'll do the loving kindness as a meditation together. Jamie McLaren, you probably remember, was coming to this class for a long time. Uh, he and his partner Liz are uh, do clowning. You remember that? How many people were here when we clowned a lot? So a lot of people weren't here. Clowning is an art. They taught me not to say that they are clowns. They do clowning. It's, an, it's, an, it's a verb. And uh, clowning is the art of surprising people in funny ways, and people's hearts lift up. Jamie, particularly, is the Project N- Najubulu director of Clowns Without Borders <laughs> in the United States. And you, when they were here with us, they did clowning with us. Uh, and they taught us. We were up in the back of the room and we walked around. And all it is is walking a peculiar, walking an unusual gait and, uh, and do things, do an unusual movement like. Uh, pick up your arm and have your leg come up, and everybody laughs laughs at that somehow. That seems very funny, and uh, that's a very gross simplification of a whole art of being able to, without speaking people's language, get them to laugh, and Clowns Without Borders is one of those organizations that I am supporting in my year-end generosities this year actually just sent them my generosity yesterday. I'm going to ask about yours in a minute. Jamie sends me updates. Uh, his group has been in uh, South Africa, in Africa for a while now. They're, um, uh, we're in Lethro. I can't even remember which country that's in. But I'm going to pass these around, and you can look at them. Long. So they. This is a picture. I'll send you the picture. This is them working in a school for the deaf deaf children. But most of these children, deaf and this other picture which I'll send around, I was working with children who are AIDS orphans, of which there are really, really incredible numbers. And they go from place to place in a truck. the, the whole I can't read you the whole of the email, but they get up at 4.30, they get in their truck, they drive to a place, They spend a day or two with hundreds of children. They don't speak their language. Uh, These children are orphaned. um, And they cause them to laugh. And they teach them to clown so that when they come back the second time, like the next morning or that afternoon, the children are eager to show them that they can do that or (laughs) whatever funny movement it is without words. And they work from morning till night. They've seen thousands of children in the, in the going from village to village. And when you think about millions, millions, millions of children in Africa are AIDS orphans. And the amount is enormous. And this is one truck of a couple of clowning people going from place to place. He's yeah, been sending us. Are they sending this to you? Yeah, Do you get it in the yeah, email? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you don't have to pass around. pass around because not everybody's on our email. Yeah. If you are here for the first time or the hundredth time and you're not on our email, this is Sherry Reinhardt. put up the hand. Sherry Reinhardt, who runs our Yahoo page. You get on the email, you get to see this picture. So I will only read you the last paragraph about that. Uh in one particular place, they have too many children in the hall. We have to move them outside, all 400 of them, to join the rest of the school. We take off our clown noses, we empty the room, we take benches, we set it up outside. It's not easy to shepherd hundreds of eager children into an orderly audience, while it, but they do it. And the show is one of our best, and they go on about the show. They ride a bicycle that doesn't have a chain, so it doesn't get any place, and everybody finds this hysterically funny. They put the noses on and off. It's hysterically funny. He said, I could go on and on about the last show. The principal's son said to me later that we were on fire, but I am weary of the details. It's hard to convey the many emotions that course through our hearts each day. The joy, stress, fear, exhaustion, sadness, and loving kindness we experience is sometimes overwhelming. But love is always around us, even when we are tired and crabby. It has protected and brought us into the lives of so many people. While in the grind, it's easy to forget it or not realize the potential for transcendence. May all beings be happy, laugh, and love life. May we all appreciate each moment as a precious moment. May we live with ease and well being to ourselves and others. So, where is our basket that those sweets came around in? It's out,
1: I'll get it. it's out here.
0: Okay. I want to pass that little basket around, and if you would like, put anything you want, from the smallest to whatever kind of thing you want. I will compile them together. Put money, if you put a check, make my name on it. I will compile them together. I will send them to Clowns Without Borders, which is... I mean, it's not better or worse than Heifer Foundation or any of the other things that we are probably all supporting. And Spirit Rock, how many of you are monthly donators to Spirit Rock? That's a whole other thing, by the way. Before the end of the year, you might think about getting on our list. From $10 a month on up, you could be one of the people who keeps the lights and the heat on here at Spirit Rock. We have, by the way, more people in our group keeping the lights the You know, if you want to get a little bit... You know, ego is the cause of all trouble. However, <laughs> we have a reputation for having uh, uh, more people supporting that monthly support group than any other identifiable group. So, Clowns Without Borders. That's
1: because you're a cheerleader. Huh? That's because you're a cheerleader. I am
0: a cheerleader. If you want to make the check that Clowns Without Borders and get a deduction, make it to Clowns Without Borders. I know their address. I'll send it. Okay. They are run by the Agape Foundation in San Francisco, under the aegis of, and Agape means love, so they are one of the one of the organizations under the aegis of the Agape Foundation. Now take a breath. The most important thing to know about Paramita practice is that it's a path to liberation by itself and it's a path that leads to wisdom that leads to liberation. I don't think they're apart from each other. I don't think it's either or. When I learned mindfulness practice years and years ago, there was, an ex- there was a, a kind of formula that you thought about. You thought you ought to behave with morality, which included generosity. You ought to behave with morality because it caused your mind to be relaxed so that you'd be a good meditator. The point of morality. In the, if if I I probably misunderstood it, but it sounded to me like you shouldn't turmoil your mind up with immorality because then you couldn't meditate well. Never mind because it's not good for yourself or other people. You just couldn't meditate well. But if your mind was tranquil because you behaved in a sweet way, then your mind would be clear. Then you would have be able to be mindful. Then you would be able to have insights. Then you would have wisdom. And if you had wisdom, you would see. That woe is everyone, that everyone 's on fire, that everyone is struggling, and that a compassionate response to the struggling is really the end of suffering, and that then it would lead you then to be compassionate, you had to get wise to be compassionate, and you had to have insights in order to be wise. So I thought to myself, what if i don 't have the insights? What if I meditate and i 'm not a good meditator, and I never have those direct <laughs> insights. Does that X me out from the happiness of a compassionate life? And I decided, why, what about if you just pretended that you had the insights and you decided to behave as if you had those insights, you know? Um, fake it, in a sense, until you get there. So I, actually, paramita practice is not faking it. Paramita practice is based on the understanding that we will feel better when we are in connection, that we are in caring connection. It's a way of saying, "Look, if you do this, you'll feel better." This caring connection really supports you. It supports you in your own, in your own uh, journey. It's an act of kindness for oneself to not be concerned for oneself exclusively. I mean, you have to be a little bit, take care of yourself, but to remember that there are people out there that you can relate to in a way of giving of yourself. You can let go and say, okay, we're going to do this together because none of us actually does it alone. So paramita practice is really a form of wisdom practice. And for many, 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 many Buddhists and many, 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 many people, Living a good life, a moral life, is their spiritual practice and really confirms for them, because if it's their practice and it is their determination to keep the mind clear so that they can see what needs to be done and how to respond, then they will see more and more clearly how much suffering there is, inevitably, in the fabric of existence, that you could have the insight as you sit, as I as I see my mind tie itself into knots, as I see my mind tie itself into a knot over Air France or some other nonsense, and then I see it untie, I could learn on that level the suffering of human beings. I could read the newspaper in the morning and see who else has died because people still don't know how to avoid killing each other because they disagree. I could see that kind of suffering. I could see on that level suffering. I could see the suffering in my own mind wouldn't need to meditate. I just need to be alert to what's happening. So paramita practice is not instead of or it's not a lesser practice. It is the medita- a meditation in its own form. If you took on any one of those things and, says, I, I, and said, I am absolutely going to live completely devoted to generosity, morality, truthfulness, patience, I will manifest that every moment, that would be a huge meditation. You'd have to pay attention every second to see that you weren't not doing that. <laughs> So that's paramita practice. Mindfulness practice, when we talked about it two weeks ago, it's really the practice of seeing clearly and telling yourself clearly what's really happening. You know, we always tell ourselves a little bit of what's happening. This person was... We even think about this ridiculous story this morning. A person was a little bit not nice with me on the, on the phone. Okay, that's a little bit of what's happening. What's actually the bigger thing about what's happening? The bigger thing about what's happening is I get to go to Europe a couple of times a year. That's a far-out thing. And I have enough health to do it and I have enough resource to do it. That's an amazing thing. I could think about that instead of who was not nice on the phone. You could either think here or you could think there. Moment of mindfulness is just really a moment of re-screwing your head on straight so that you see what's going on. Really, Really what's going on, not what I choose to focus on, but what's going on? And what can I know about that? Susan?
1: The 11th rule is check your frequent flyer miles before you make the
0: reservation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a piece of knowledge that I added to my memory bank this morning. So now what I want to talk about, and we'll end with this as a meditation, is last week when we talked about concentration meditation, we talked about the different ways in which the mind, when it settles down, when it composes itself, is its own antidote to the hindrances, the clouding energies of the mind. And there are lots of ways to calm the mind down and compose it. One of them is to just be with the breath or the simple movements of, of the body as it, uh, as it walks back and forth. Oh, look at this. The, the clowns without borders will be so happy. it needs to go this way. Oh, this is terrific. Maybe no no it's so exciting looking. It's so exciting looking don't empty it. This is wonderful. I'm going to call I'm going to call him this afternoon. I am in email contact I'm going to, I'm in email contact with uh, Moshe who he was here one day Moshe. You remember he came. Moshe and I email each other. You can put your attention on one single thing and your mind will compose itself in the composure the confusing energies will go away and your own heart will manifest you can get there faster by i think faster you can certainly get there as well by using as the composing focus of your mind someone to whom you wish to wish well and that's really the basis of metta practice it's a concentration meditation But it's a concentration meditation that's juicier, so to speak, than just breathing, just breathing. It's a great deal to breathe. If you can't breathe, it's a very bad thing. But it's juicier because it has the emotional impact of thinking about who you care about and who you love and wishing them well, which takes your own heart, after it's finished wishing well for itself, out to remember who else is in our life and who we care about. And it even helps to erase any moment of hesitation about, oh, I don't want to do well for that person, everybody but that person. But really everybody, not less than everybody. So let's do this as a kind of a prayer. Edie will play, and I'll say something, and I'll suggest that we do it together, and then she'll play... She's promised to play for each of these reflections a different one of her many wonderful instruments. So I can tell you the reflection and then she'll do it for a minute or so. Then we'll do the next reflection. Think about yourself. The reason that we intuit that everybody really wants just a a mind of peace, a heart of peace, They lie down in peace, wake up in peace. Is because we do. Everybody does. We want that I will submit more than anything else. We want it more than anything else. We want to be able to say okay to life. We want to be able to want to see tomorrow. We want to be in touch with our own kindness. We want to feel safe and secure in the world. Think for yourself whatever phrases you like to say for meta phrases. Maybe we'll say the simplest phrases this morning. Some people are new to metta practice. Think for yourself May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live peacefully. May I be safe. (coughs) May I be happy. May I be healthy. You might want to say, may I live in peace? May I live with peace? However you like. See if you can say that over and over to yourself. Say it slowly so you can feel it in your body and your mind as you say it. about the people who are nearest to you in your life, your close kin, parents, your siblings, your children, your partners, the people whose lives are inextricably part of yours. You can think of them individually, one at a time, or imagine all of them in a group, grouped around you, perhaps in a little circle just around you, the nearest orbit to your physical life and your heart. Wish them well in those same words. May be safe, may be happy, may be healthy. May you live in peace. category of neutral people. The, we, we talk about remembering people in our lives we don't think about very much but think about when we meet them like the grocery clerks or the librarian or your dentist, or people that you just know a little. I'd like to suggest that today we widen the circle of people that we just know a little to the people that we heard about to whom our hearts could be moved without knowing them individually and in depth, but just because we sense that uh, they, like us, are people who would like to be safe and healthy and happy live peacefully you could think about these uh, hundreds and hundreds really of children that Jamie and his friends are causing to laugh (coughs) the deaf children in the school for the deaf that can't hear any instructions but it doesn't matter because Jamie can't speak their language anyway. They can see the children who live without parents who can laugh, can think about children all over the world in difficult circumstances (laughs)
2: I'm not going
0: You can imagine the whole world of people getting cold now in the northern hemisphere, starting to get really warm in Australia. People are plowing, people are turning the soil under for next year. People are planting, people are finishing harvest. People are getting born and people are dying. People are falling in love.
1: People are losing people they love.
0: People are teaching, people are learning. sing each other. Everybody really would rather have a life of peace. Can we in our minds wish them well? All beings everywhere. Those that think the way we think. Those that don't think the way we think those that we think offended us, those that are difficult when they come up in our mind. Can we have a mind and a heart that reaches out in loving-kindness,
1: free from ill will, that
0: cares for the world and doesn't fight with it? For a moment of all the people whom we often name by name here and didn't get to do today all the people in your lives who are sick and struggling troubled and struggling wish them well <coughs> wish well to their caretakers all the mourners who are remembering people who were dear to them. Wish them well. Wish well to Edie for having played so beautifully. well to the cooks in Santa Fe who baked all these cookies, wish well to each other for having been such a supportive community to each other and to me for so many years. May we all be safe and healthy, happy, live peacefully. Open your eyes. Look around at the people next to you.
1: Make sure you know
0: their name. Ask them, what's your name? Ask them if they've been here before or if it's their first time.
1: Who is here for the first time?
0: Make sure you tell somebody. If you're sitting next to someone who's here for the first time, tell them to come back. (laughs) Take a great breath. I wish you very well. I will not be, I will be back. It's much better to say a positive sentence. I'll be back on the 4th of January. In the meantime, Donald is looking forward to three weeks with you. I hope that your holidays are Mm -hmm. full of light and happiness and that we come, all of us, into this new year with renewed hope and heart and determination. All those paramitas flourish in us and that we all get wiser as we get older together. That means yes. You know, we're always so quiet and we do all that bowing, but how about we applaud for Edie? How about that? (laughs) There you go. Whoever brought
1: those incredible
0: Oh. Oh, wow. Ah the
1: combination is just
0: amazing. Uh, yeah. Did this just materialize? No, it is an amazing color combination. If you are Carrie Walsh or Marjorie Larkin or Liz Hilton or Connie or Annette, I have your cookies. And I'm gonna I will I will give those cookies. To Harold, who will keep them in his office and not with their names on the box, and those people will come and get them. Thank you for doing the cookies, really, and the clowns.
1: Clowns without borders.
0: Where's the clowns thing? Thank Check you. Me. It's in a basket over there. Here comes the clown basket. I'm Liz Helton. Ah! I missed this morning. I came late. There you go. My <laughs> like cookies. There you Merry are. Christmas. Very Christmas. Hanukkah. All of those. Thank we, you for being
2: This talk was given by Sylvia Burstin at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on December 7, 2005. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Siddha-